your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to read the chapter for you before we begin. So either follow along or listen as I read to you Matthew 28, verse number 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A long, long time ago, it was December 22nd, 2017, Christmas Sunday, in fact, we began our studies in Matthew. We paused the journey along the way many times, but we finally arrived at the final chapter. This is the final piece to Matthew's story. This is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you remember when we left off in chapter 27, just before Christmas, Jesus had been crucified unjustly, buried and sealed in Joseph's tomb. And from his enemy's perspective, this was the end of the dangerous teacher from Nazareth. Now it was only a matter of time before his teaching would soon fade into memory. He would be forgotten to history. 
Now, they did suspect that the disciples were going to try to perpetuate his claims by stealing his body. So, as chapter 27 ends, they post a guard at the tomb. They seal it to ensure that the corpse will stay right where it is. So that, as they said in verse 64, the last fraud will be worse than the first. And typically, when a person dies, that is the end of their story. For anyone else... This would just be a prologue to a life well lived. What's left to be said of a person who has died is only memory or legacy. It's all past stuff. But Matthew's story of Jesus isn't over. There is more to be said about Jesus of Nazareth. When Matthew began in chapter 1, he presented Jesus to his readers as the Messiah and the King of Israel. The first line in the book, you could look at it, but it's, it's very simple. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's a unique way to begin the book, but what Matthew is saying here is, this is a book about Jesus. The divine son of God, the royal son of David, and the covenant descendant of Abraham. This is what Matthew has been concerned with all along to convince his audience that Jesus is the Messiah, or the Christ. He is the promised Savior, but more than that, he is also the Davidic King. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. And for the next 27 chapters, Matthew sets out to prove this very thing, who Jesus really is. Now, as we approach the final chapter then, we keep that all in mind, and I plan to cover the whole thing, but we're not going to completely unpack everything. And for those of you who are, are, are hoping that we'll be in a new place next week, sorry to disappoint, we'll come back one more time and be in Matthew 28 once again. This morning, I want to resume the story of the crucified Jesus, the buried Jesus, and see what else Matthew might possibly have to say. It is namely this. Jesus was crucified, but now he's alive. He was buried, but he rose from the dead. In the final chapter of Matthew's Gospel, I believe that Matthew is emphasizing the need for people to know that Jesus lives. They needed to know back then that Jesus is alive. It mattered. Because people in this day knew that Jesus was crucified. But they needed to know that the Jesus who was crucified also rose from the dead. And it still matters today that people know that Jesus lives. And it's not enough just to know that Jesus lives. As we will see, as I'll point out to you, we must also go and tell others the wonderful news of Jesus. Now, early on Sunday morning, some of the women, two Marys involved, uh, in fact, the same women and some of the women who had been with Jesus at every step of the journey have returned to his tomb. Mark and Luke tell us that they had brought spices to finish anointing his body for burial. In fact, they come in all of the Gospels painting the, completer, uh, the completed picture, tell us that they didn't even know how they were going to remove the stone. They had been there when the stone was put in place. They knew what was facing them, but yet they came without knowing exactly how it was all going to turn out. You remember the guards that were at the tomb. 
These were men put on guard duty to scare off brave grave robbers and overzealous disciples. Likely these were trained fighters, courageous men of war, seen their share of battle. So between a great stone and soldiers and a sealed tomb, this is the first century equivalent of Fort Knox. No one is getting in. And nobody was concerned with someone getting out. But then an angel descended from heaven and messed it all up. Verse 2 says, He came and rolled back the stone and sat down on it. Now, Mind you, this was not to let Jesus out. In fact, about the actual resurrection event. What we have here in every other account is basically what happened afterwards or because of the resurrection of Jesus. The stone was removed to let us look inside, not to let Jesus get out. And so as these women approach, they know what they're expecting. A tomb, a great stone, soldiers all about. But that's not what they find. These soldiers aren't guarding the tomb. It says that they, in verse 4, they trembled and were like dead men. One writer remarks about the irony of this event. He says that the ones assigned to guard the dead themselves appear to be dead while the dead now has been made alive. These soldiers are terrified by the angel. But the angel tells the women, in verse 5, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for He has risen as He said. Come, see the place where He lay. The first message on Christmas night is the first message on Easter morning. Don't be afraid. These women weren't seeking to keep people from Jesus like the soldiers were. They were seeking to find Jesus. So there was no cause to fear. He's not here, the angel said. Come, see where He was. And then I'll tell you where He will be. Verse 7, Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. And immediately these women believe and go. They quickly depart from the tomb, I think, I think interestingly, full of both joy and fear. There was fear. They were told not to be afraid, but I guess that doesn't just slip away instantly. But there is great joy now. What just happened? Did you see what I saw? It's interesting, at the beginning and the end of Jesus' life are some amazing sights, some Wonders to behold. And I think it's significant to point out that these women believed without ever having seen Jesus. They believed He rose from the dead. They went and did. All they knew was an empty tomb and an angel's message. But that was enough to believe and act. But before they get too far, Jesus appears Himself. Verse number 9. Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and worshipped Him. Took hold of His feet. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell My brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see Me. Now, if the events of the tomb were surprising, imagine how they felt now. There's Jesus. He really is alive. 
They fall down and they worship. And then Jesus gives them the same message that the angel gave them. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee. But there's one difference. Did you catch it? The angel said, go tell the disciples. Jesus said, go tell my brothers. I think that there's a wonderful encouragement here for these people who had very recently let Jesus down. They had failed Jesus big time. They had all abandoned Him. Peter had denied Him. But now Jesus calls them His brothers. And through these women now is offering them a message of hope and of healing. Now while some of the women are running off to tell the disciples, some of the guards are running off in another direction to tell another group of people. When their fearful paralysis wears off, the guards hurry back to Jerusalem with the most amazing story for the priests. Can you imagine being those guards telling the priests what just happened? Verse 11 says that they told the priests all that had taken place. Now we don't really know how much they knew. It says that they saw the angel and they saw the stone removed, but did they see the women? Did they know what the angel said to the women? The Scripture only tells us that they became like dead men. So some would say that they fainted away. Some would say that they just fell over and were frozen stiff. We don't really know. It doesn't tell us. But something is clear. They, They knew enough to get the point across to the priests. The priests' plan had failed. Their foolproof plan had anticipated the disciples coming, but not an angel. They had counted on preventing the disciples from getting in, but they had not counted on Jesus getting out. And by the power of God, He he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus left His grave because as Acts 2 tells us, it was not possible for Him to be held by it. So, how would the priests react to this? Will they believe the Gospel? Repent? No. They concoct a story and they bribe the guards to lie, saying that despite their advanced training and their great skill, the disciples had outwitted them. Somehow, a group of fishermen managed to sneak past trained guards, roll away a giant stone, and steal Jesus' body without waking up any of them. That's almost as amazing as an angel descending from heaven and rolling a stone away and sitting down to reveal an empty tomb. This was their story, and they were sticking with it. And no doubt, many believed it as it spread throughout the Jews. Those disciples had to have stolen the body. They had to cover up with their, the lies of their teacher and save a little face. But now in the final verses of Matthew's Gospel, verse 16, Matthew actually jumps ahead. This is not the very next event in the whole resurrection account. There's nothing about the other disciples going to the tomb like John tells us. There's nothing about Jesus appearing to the disciples that Sunday night like Luke tells us. Matthew concludes his gospel where both Jesus and the angel told the disciples to go on a mountain in Galilee. And there he was, waiting for them just as he promised. Look at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew finishes his book with Jesus' own words. We call it the Great Commission. These are the instructions, the commands of the risen Lord Jesus to his followers. And do you know what that message is? It's the same message that the angel told the women. It's the same message that Jesus gave to the Marys. It's what the guards did when they regained their strength and went back to the priests. The message, go and tell. Jesus had risen from the dead, and people needed to know about that. Jesus is alive. But why? Why do people need to know that Jesus lives? Why is it so important to go and tell? Jesus appeared to so many. Why not just wait for him to appear? There were many people in this city and in this region that knew Jesus had died with mixed feelings about that. But all of them needed to know it was no longer so. He is no longer dead. His friends and disciples were discouraged and defeated, thinking that their teacher was gone forever. There was shame, there was grief, there was doubt and confusion. His enemies were claiming victory far too soon. But hearing the news that Jesus lives would change all of that. News of the resurrection would declare that his enemies had lost. He had won once and for all. He would expose their sinful rejection of their Messiah and bring conviction upon many. This is why the resurrection news mattered so much. This is why it couldn't be kept a secret. Many would see the risen Christ, but not everyone. But everyone needed to hear. So these early disciples needed to go and tell. And so I've been asking myself this week, why does this matter today? This is a story. I think that most of us know the story. But why does it matter today? It's nothing new. I doubt that I've given any of you some new information by telling you that Jesus rose from the dead. How does the resurrection of Jesus apply to us now? Does it still matter as it did back then? Can it produce in us what it was meant to produce in them thousands of years ago? I think it does. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Let me give you two pairs of two words that I think will help to explain why this matters. The first, joyful hope. And the second, bold obedience. Why did the women and then the disciples need to know and then go and tell about the risen Christ. First, so that they may have joyful hope. These early followers of Jesus needed to realize that His death wasn't the end. He had told them He would rise again, and on Easter morning, His words came true. He did, just as He said. And that terrible weekend had produced fear and questions in the hearts and minds of His disciples. But the news of his resurrection would cast out their fear and bring joy. 
Do not be afraid, was the message they heard. Because Jesus lives, and his promises are true, all of them. Jesus had told his disciples in John 16, You will weep and lament, the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Joyful hope. But Jesus' followers also needed to know and go and tell so that they might be boldly obedient. The early Christians were going to need plenty of boldness to obey Christ's command to go and disciple the nations. Persecution was going to come. Heavy. And many were going to suffer for the faith. But it was because the early church was boldly obedient to disciple the nations that we know about Christ. So why do we need to know and tell? Why do you need to be told that Jesus is alive? Again, it's so that you might have joyful hope and bold obedience. John wrote his gospel, he said, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wrote in his first letter, I write these things to you who believe in, his name, uh, believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The story of Jesus is not an ancient legend. It's not a myth. It's a present reality. It's not just history. It's present. It's ongoing. Jesus is alive today. Christian, that means you and I serve a living God. Our hope is not in a dead teacher or prophet, but in the living Lord. Our confidence is not even in a body of truth that Jesus passed on to us. Our hope, our confidence is in Jesus himself whose body rose from the grave and whose body is coming one day in power and glory. The scriptures say that because Jesus is alive and continues forever, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because Jesus is alive today, you and I have a great high priest who continues to intercede for us. We have a king who presently reigns with all authority in heaven and on earth. And we have a hope of a blessed return for the church, for his bride. Why do we need to know that Jesus is alive? So that we may have joyful hope, but also so that we may be boldly obedient to the command of our Lord. Christ's command to make disciples still extends to the church today. It was not just for the people that heard him on the mountain that day. We, too, must boldly go and tell. And we may not suffer persecution in the same way that they did in the early church, but we still need boldness to evangelize the good news, to shine the light in every darkened corner of this town and this country and this whole world. The world needs to know Jesus is alive. 
So why do you need to go and tell? So that others may have the same joyful hope that you do. So that others may know and believe and have this knowledge and joy and hope in the risen Christ just as you do. Because not everybody has heard. Not everyone knows who Jesus is or why He died. You'd be surprised how many people in this country, in this county, know of Jesus. They celebrated His birthday last week with at least a nod. They might even know that He died on a cross, but they couldn't tell you why. What they don't know is that He lives again. We must go and tell. Because fear exists in the hearts of people today. And if they only knew this living Lord, their sorrow and fear would turn to joy. Why do you need to go and tell others? So that others will be obedient to the risen Christ. See, obedience to Christ isn't just a Christian thing. Did you realize that? Obeying, submitting, worshiping God is not just for Christians. Jesus is the king. And we did not elect him. He is the king whether you like it or not. And our call, our mission, is to spread the news that there is a new king in town. He has received all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has issued commands that we all must obey. Every knee, every tongue, in submission. And obedience. Why must we go and tell? Well, simply because he told us to. Our mission is a command. And our Lord is alive and well, and he is coming soon to judge his enemies. You must bow to him before it's too late. So, Christian, go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And tell them that Jesus died for sinners and was buried. And that the tomb is now empty. And that Jesus is alive. Tell that He is Christ the King. And that people must turn to Him to be saved and spared from judgment. Tell them that we all must obey Him and serve Him with our lives. Tell them that there is joy and hope for all who come to Him. Because Jesus lives, you have reason to be full of joy and hope and to be obedient and bold. So let's tell our children that Jesus is alive. Let's tell our friends and their neighbors that Jesus is the King. Let's remind each other all that the Lord has commanded us to do. May we as a part of Christ's church truly grasp the importance of the wonderful truth that Jesus lives. And let's go tell the world about it. Let's pray. Almighty God, who by your power raised up our Lord Jesus from the grave, who gave to him all authority in heaven and on earth. Grant that we may have joyful hope 
in the knowledge of our risen Savior and be boldly obedient to his command to make disciples. Through him who lives forever with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.